I'd like to offer a um, few opening reflections at the beginning of this uh, dying and death retreat, and uh, quite a number, quite a, a proportion of, of us gathered here uh, were also together over the weekend. We had the Mindful Aging Seminar over the weekend, so it seemed an obvious way to arrange it, aging over the weekend, dying and death during the week. So. And uh, so it's very good to be um, back together again with those who were with us over the weekend and also like to welcome all of the uh, the people who've arrived just for the dessert. <laughs> the, um, the the theme for this uh, this week uh, is uh, the one of the central um, teachings of uh, or meditation methods uh, uh, encouraged by the Buddha, marana nusati, the, the mindfulness or the um, uh, the careful attention towards the the process, the existence of, of death, and so that uh, this is a uh, an opportunity to um, pick up some of the teachings that were encouraged by the Buddha and to uh, to use this as a, a way to investigate, to explore our own life, and to uh, un- understand this uh, mysterious condition of the human realm that we we find ourselves born into and uh, existing as a, a part of. Also particularly glad um, to be here sitting side by side with uh, Joseph Pabakro, since um, uh, those of you who are gathered together with us for the uh, the weekend, the Mindful Aging weekend, will know that uh, Joseph and I go back, uh, at least in this lifetime, a long way. <laughs> Probably in other lifetimes even further. Uh, but... Um, I'm particularly glad to to be able to welcome Joseph here and to co-lead this retreat together with him since uh, when I stumbled into uh, the International Forest Monastery as a confused and hairy 21-year-old in the beginning of 1978, then uh, Joseph was the abbot. He was Ajahn Pabakro and was the, the abbot and uh, very much the... Um, the, the person who was uh, my, my teacher and guide and mentor and uh, uh, great Dhamma friend helping me to enter into monastic life and uh, to, in a sense, uh, draw close to this tradition and to be inspired by it. And uh, so I feel a great, uh, friendship, uh, great friendship, but also a, great, uh, a debt of gratitude. Also, I was recognizing that today, uh, or remembering today, that he was actually the one who gave me my name. So without Joseph, there wouldn't be an Ajahn Amaro, of, at least of this particular configuration. So he was the one who, uh, who gave me my name. And I remember very distinctly the, uh, the day when he, he uh, uh, let me know what it was going to be uh, as we were preparing for my uh, full ordination. And he said, come here, Amaro. <laughs> so my first thought was, who's he? And then I realized, he was looking at me down at the far end of the sala, and so I realized, okay, <laughs> I guess that's who I am. Mindful aging was over the weekend. This is uh, <laughs> it was you, Joseph. So, so. It's also interesting that the very name, my my name, means uh, deathless. Mara is one of the words for death. Amara is the uh, uh, the negative of that. The A at the beginning is the negation. So Amara means deathless. So 
so also my, uh, the name that I have is uh, the Deathless, also the name of this very monastery, this center, uh, Amaravati, uh, is, uh, means the, the Deathless Realm. And uh, it's interesting to reflect uh, um, where this name came from, because uh, this monastery, this center, was opened up in 1984, and during that time, those of us who are living here in uh, in uh, Europe, in Britain, uh, will remember that there was uh, the escalating arms race between um, the Soviet Union, as it was then, and uh, America, and uh, the, uh, there was um, frequent talk of uh, limited nuclear war in Europe, uh, quote-unquote, <laughs> and that uh, Britain and um, France and Germany were being spoken of as the uh, agreed-upon battleground for this limited nuclear war. And so if you can recall, 83, 84, there was um, protests on the streets, uh, hundreds of thousands of people uh, uh, gathered on the streets, but there was a tremendous fear in the air uh, of, um, because the, the arms race was so um, rampant. And uh, Lumpur Sumedho was very aware of this, and, uh, and the, the sense of, uh, of dread, or, or that people thought there's not going to be a next generation, so you know, why bother going to school, why bother preparing you know, for a, a life ahead when we can be, it can be seen as being unlikely. And also, again, if those of you who were living in Britain will, might remember, there was a little leaflet that was put through every letterbox in the country called Protect and Survive. And it suggested, uh, I think the comedians had great fun with it. It was sort of bittersweet humor because the, in this little leaflet they were suggesting, you know, in case of nuclear attack, you know, unscrew some doors from your house from, from, their, from their hinges and then lean them together and then climb underneath and then you'll, you'll be protected from the, you know, co- the collapsing building and, you know, and the worst of the, the damage. And they, so people were imagining you know, there's a nu- nuclear attack underway and they're looking for their screwdriver. And that, you know, it, was, it was very tragic and people, this is the best that we can come up with is how to protect ourselves. So there was a lot of, of fear, despair and tension in the air in those, those times. And so Don Posamedo felt that it was really important to uh, uh, remind people of the counterpart or the, the, the alternative. And that this was not just a realm of, of death and difficulty, but there is the deathless. There is the, the ultimate reality, the unborn, the unaging, the unailing, uh, the transcendent. And that uh, spiritual teachings, uh, particularly uh, the Buddhist teachings, uh, point very directly to this and to many methods and, and ways and means whereby that, that transcendent, that, that fundamental reality, the deathless reality, can be uh, awakened too. And so that w- he also had heard of the name uh, Amravati many years before when he was in Thailand. Um, he'd uh, come across it when he was staying at uh, Ajahn Buddha Dasa's monastery where they had many copies of the the um, ancient imagery from the uh, Amravati stupa in in southern India it was one of the, the um, great shrine that was built in the early years of uh, the Buddhist uh, religion in India, uh, the great stupa of uh, Amravati. And uh, at Suanmok they had many copies of the uh, of the images and the the reliefs from uh, Amravati, um, uh, say displayed around the monastery. And when when he was staying there, Lumpur Sumedha was very inspired by these and thought the name was very beautiful. And I remember when I was a very junior monk at, at Chithurst Monastery, as Lumpur was waxing lyrically one day at tea time, just sort of talking to the universe, he said, you know, one day I'm going to found a great Buddhist city and call it Amravati. Mm-hmm. 
So, and then a few years later, he did. <laughs> well, not exactly a great Buddhist city, but you know, the, at least starting up a spiritual center and sanctuary. And that name was very important to him because he felt this was uh, essential for us as human beings to recollect the deathless, to uh, uh, awaken to that transcendent, timeless reality that's ever-present, but yet can be so masked and lost to us. So they, uh, the, the practice or the, um, the methodology of uh, Marana Nusati, the contemplation of death, uh, is one of the, uh, the Buddha's recommended ways of helping us to awaken to the deathless. And this is one of the, the, uh, the in a sense, the, the themes that you find over and over again in, um, in the Buddha's teaching is that rather than, um, say, trying to deal with suffering by evading it or pretending it's not there or, or, or blocking it out or distracting ourselves from it, it's by looking directly at suffering, at dukkha, at the feelings and experience of discontent. By looking at wrongness, yeah, uh, mysteriously and ironically, we find ourselves able to wake, awaken to that which is not wrong. <laughs> By looking at suffering, we, we learn to, to awaken to that which is free from suffering. Similarly, uh, one of the most uh, um, prime and um, direct ways of helping ourselves to awaken to the, the deathless is to look very directly at death, that uh, inevitable part of life which is a, uh, uh, the... Uh, intrinsic consequence of birth. And this was one of Lumpur Zameda's frequent uh, phrases uh, or um, uh, things he was fond of saying in relationship to this. When he would say, well, you know, when people ask, well, what was the cause of death? And they say, well, the cause of death was, was heart disease or was cancer or they had a car crash. He said, it's really, uh, really inaccurate because what we should say when they, we ask what was the cause of death, we should always answer birth. Birth is the cause of death. That if, if we weren't born, then we wouldn't die. And that the details of how that comes about is, is a, a secondary element of that. So I, I hope during this, this time, as we're gathered together, um, and at these, this week that we have, between now and uh, Sunday, that we'll have uh, uh, say, um, many different avenues to explore of how we can, we can look at, uh, at the... Uh, the presence of death in our lives, um, the, the process of dying, the process of, of um, physical death, uh, also the internal aspects of death, because the physical death is, is only one part of it, because also ego death um, is another element of, of our, uh, our, our life, our world, and, and sometimes it can feel you know, more meaningful or more terrifying to us. You know, it's not uncommon for people to say, I'm, I'm not really afraid of dying. You know, I don't want to die. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to experience a lot of pain or, or difficulty. But yeah, death doesn't really bother me. Just you know, I'm fine with that. Um, but then ego death, which means things like uh, um, being uh, a, a failure at something, you know, launching a uh, a project and then it being uh, being a, an abject failure, being um, you know, walking up to people at uh, cocktail parties and they just sort of turn their back and ignore you. <laughs> Getting fired from a, a job, uh, having a, um, uh, you know, a a romance that you were you were fully committed to, you know, falling apart. Those uh, the uh, 
we can make long lists of these <laughs> things in different domains of our of our life. But ego death can be far more threatening. That sense of of me failing, me losing, uh, me um, uh, say collapsing can be can be far more threatening. Um, there was a famous study that I often quote a number of years ago done by Harvard University, of which, incidentally, Joseph is an alumnus. Master's degree from Harvard University. Post-monastic educational project he undertook. So Harvard University Psychology Department did a, a very broad survey on fear. And uh, I think they, uh, they polled about six or 7,000 people and... Uh, and made a, a list of what people were most afraid of. And so number 10 on the list was things like having your house burgled and having your possessions taken. And number 7 or 8 on the list was being physically attacked and, 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 and uh, injured. Um, or 4 or 5 on the list was, um, say, having your uh, your loved ones um, uh, sick and, and dying. Uh, number Number 3 on the list was um, your uh, your country going to war and you, your, you and your family being um, uh, injured or, or um, <coughs> say, uh, separated and your lives ruined by by war. Number two on the list was was a global nuclear war, and number one on the list that people were more afraid of than anything else was public speaking. <laughs> Above the destruction of all life on earth was public speaking. Now, when I read that uh, in some um, new, uh, news journal, it sort of jumped off the page, and I said, well, that's a teaching. <laughs> that we're more terrified of looking like an idiot on stage than we are of destruction of all life on earth. It's like our country going to war, our family being destroyed, our, our, you know, our loved ones you know, being injured and died and, and, uh, and killed and, and uh, robbed and so forth. And uh, and so uh, along the way during this week, maybe uh, we'll have the opportunity also to look at that dimension of of dying and death. Um, we touched on that somewhat during the uh, uh, the mindful aging weekend, the the, the seminar um, about uh, the quality of brokenness or things failing or things not being fixable. But uh, this is also a dimension of uh, of death and dying that we uh, we want to look at. One of the things I like to, to emphasize during um, any kind of retreat and using the environment uh, of the retreat situation is to set, I would really encourage everyone who's gathered here to um, set a firm resolution to learn from everything that happens. So if you come on this retreat and you think, oh no, I've got a cold. I've been fine for months and months. I've been, you know, fit as a fiddle, and now here I come on this retreat, and now my nose is running. Ah, this is so inconvenient. Uh, I really didn't want this. this. Is the last thing I wanted to happen. This is this is so annoying. Or that, uh, you know, my knee is playing up, or there's that uh, huge row that I had with my my uh, somebody in my family just before I came here. <sighs> it's going to mess the whole thing up. Yeah. Or we come here and we think. They got these. They got skeletons in the shrine room. <laughs> they got skeletons in the shrine room. Yeah. What am I supposed to do with that? Is this is this some kind of zombie movie set I've walked into? Or you know, what, what what's this all about? I know I know it's death and dying, but you know, do we really need these skeletons? 
but uh, yeah, this is also uh, one of the, the classic objects of meditation within the Maranana Sati and the, if you have uh, studied the, the Buddhist teachings on the four foundations of mindfulness then the uh, um, the largest section of the four foundations of mindfulness is mindfulness of the body and the largest chunk of the mindfulness of the body is the nine cemetery contemplations uh, contemplating body and the, the body in various stages of, of decay and dissolution so uh, uh, when uh, when we you come in here and you see we have these skeletons in the skulls here on the on the shrine just behind us So, <laughs> this, this is to help us remind ourselves that we don't just have two skeletons uh, in the room and and uh, and two skulls or three skulls. We have about sixty skeletons in the room, <laughs> right? <laughs> so we have them hanging up here. Actually, this is a plastic one. So this this is a a real one. Yeah, um, and these are both real skulls. And bone skulls. So we we have them up before us to help us to remember. Oh right, <laughs> I'm carrying one of those around with me. And this is one of the things Gumpo Cha would often say because in the the main uh, meditation hall, the assembly hall at his monastery Wat Bapong, there would be uh, a, a couple of skeletons there that were were hanging up, um, similar to this, just there in part of the. Uh, the um, the setup of the of the shrine in the in the in the meeting hall and similarly at, at the international forest monastery where Joseph was the abbot and where I was living there's also a, a skeleton there in the the main hall and uh, Ajahn Chah would say you know people come in here and they see the skeleton and they they want to rush off and and uh, escape and uh, said yeah this is really crazy said, don't you realize that you go to bed with one of those things every night <laughs> Don't you realize that you carry one around, uh, carry one around with you wherever you go? If you didn't have one of those, it, walking would be really difficult. <laughs> Can you imagine a body without one of those inside it? There would be this kind of floppy heap of skin and muscle. You know, we need these things. They're, they're useful. We carry it with us. You know, so that that these are not other; they are us. This is this is us, and so that uh, that kind of. Um, uh, realism uh, is what is being encouraged in having uh, these, these uh, here as meditation objects. But it might be that what, you know, that what you're feeling is, well, that's all very well, but oh, you know, I, I'm not going to go in there first. You know, if I go in the shrine and there's, you know, I haven't got someone to go with me, or I'm not going in there. You know, if that's the reaction that you have, or you feel like this is totally offensive, I, I didn't sign up for this. And, you know, this is. This is very inappropriate. This is politically incorrect to have dead bodies in the shrine room, and uh, I, I, uh, I'm upset or I, I object to that. Then what we learn from is our feeling of objection. What we what we what we learn from is that feeling of of uh, of fear of uh, of of death or fear of, of ghosts or, or the um, uh, the different moods that that arise. We learn from what is happening, whether it's our own bodies uh, being sick or whether it's um, our reactions to uh, other people in the room or things in the routine or in the, the skeletons and skulls in the, in the shrine room. If we set that intention to, to learn from whatever happens, 
then uh, nothing can go wrong. <laughs> Even if both your knees go out, you know, Joseph's, Joseph's have gone already. So, both your knees go out, you know, and uh, or you have uh, strong emotional reactions, or maybe what uh, your experience is like. Oh, this is great! Now we're getting down to business at last. Skeletons in the shrine room. <laughs> now the, this is really serious. You know, you're experiencing enthusiasm and and say um, delight, and then as the days go on, you think, oh, this is really terrible, this is boring. <laughs> I thought I was going to learn something new here. And, oh, God, I've, I've heard all this stuff before. I've read all this stuff before. This is a real disappointment. I think I should go home. If that's what you feel, then you turn it inside. Say, okay, let's learn from the feeling of disappointment. Let's learn from that feeling of, well, I know all this already. This is nothing new. So we take... Um, Positive feelings, negative feelings, uh, uh, feelings of well-being or sickness or whatever it might be. Everything that happens during the, the course of the day, just to, if we have that, that framework, then uh, we're able to, to take it in, to, to transform it. And, and then if we're wise, everything will teach us. The, the, po- the positive and the delicious and the painful and the bitter, everything will teach us if we let it, if we hold it in that way. If we're not wise, if we are, um, say, caught up in believing our own opinions and, and buying into our own reactions of enthusiasm and excitement, inspiration, or, or um, irritation or fear or, or um, objection, then uh, it'll be very difficult for us to, to learn, even if you're carefully uh, taking notes or, <laughs> or memorizing things that we're, we're saying that that uh, if if we don't have that kind of um, readiness to to really take things in, you know, even if you're you, you feel like you're you're paying attention, if we're already brimful of our own opinions and our set ideas, even if we might be hearing the words and, and feeling like we're we're um, taking it all in, if we're just um, uh, say arranging that all around our, our preset views and opinions and, and structures, then it doesn't uh, help to change us very much. And what the reason why we gather together for these kind of events is to help ourselves to be changed, to help our hearts to be to be transformed, to be changed to some degree or another. So that uh, that readiness to, to learn from everything and to, is, not, is also a, a readiness to let go of our fixed ideas, our fixed views, our... Um, our habits of, of judgment of beautiful or ugly, right and wrong, but just to uh, open the, uh, the the mind, open the heart, open the field, uh, and to let ourselves um, be uh, say, uh, enabled to see things in a in a different way. So I always like to encourage this and to, to remind yourselves at the beginning of the day. Okay, uh, today uh, I'm going to do my best to learn from whatever happens. Even if someone's taken my cushion, <laughs> especially if they've taken mine, you know, that has happened before. <laughs> Interesting moments. Coming to the shrine room, and one of the retreatants is sitting in the the front seat. So whatever uh, whatever happens during the day, if we set that intention then it becomes a very uh, rich and, and fruitful, very, very very beneficial, the most beneficial kind of uh, 
of events. And so I would really wish that for everyone here and to, to hope that we're all uh, use, able to use this time to, to transform ourselves and to, to learn things that uh, are useful and are liberating. So without further ado, I will hand the, uh, the headset over to Joseph and uh, he can offer his own reflections. Welcome, my mothers, my fathers, my brothers and sisters, my aunts, my uncles. We are all part of the human family. We read in uh, the suttas, the Buddhist scriptures, the Buddhist saying in this long, uh, weary, path of samsara, or the cycle of birthing, aging, illness, and death is long, is so long that we can't imagine the length of it, and there is no one that we have ever met or will meet uh, in this lifetime that has not at one time been a relative, a brother, sister, a mother, a father, a loved one in some way. So welcome, here we are together as the human family to share uh, our commonalities, our universalities, those things which uh, we all share and that connect us, make us much more similar and alike than make us different. I'm very grateful to Honorable uh, Ajahn Amaro for this invitation to both myself and my wife who's accompanied me on this, uh, this journey to be here, to have this uh, opportunity. So it's a great, uh, it's a great uh, honor, it's a great pleasure, and I'm quite, um, uh, not overly so, but uh, excited, enthusiastic to be here, to have this opportunity to share. Uh, for me in my life, uh, it feels like there's a, a ripening and uh, it, it, that I'm kind of being called now after having left uh, this monastery 21 years ago to uh, step up once again and to uh, offer the gifts that I have and to see where those are, are needed. And so this is uh, one of, of, I hope, many opportunities, not here but, but elsewhere. It's important to reflect as I started because Part of our <clears throat> dilemma, I think, as human beings and in the world, and here just in a small group of 60 or so people, just to uh, generate the, our consciousness to raise it up to think, oh, well, that's really true, that we are uh, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, we are related, we are connected in this, uh, in this dilemma of the human condition of birth, aging, illness, and death. Therefore, we're not really all that different, and it doesn't matter what color our skin is, what our uh, 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 um, gender is, what our sexual orientation is. Uh, none of that really matters how young or how old we are, that that makes us very similar. Any of us, uh, uh, any one of us is cut in this room, we bleed red. You know, maybe the shades of red might be different, but we all bleed red. And, uh, and so 
that to me makes helps to open my heart to uh, to reach out and embrace, if you will, uh, the human realm and the human condition, and helps me to uproot uh, those tendencies to want to judge, to make a difference between self and other, to create a barrier between you and I. And those barriers can only lead to, you know, more barriers in the kind of the construction of that which makes us different. And so to break down those barriers can only lead to the, you know, to the destruction of that and the construction of how similar we are, how much we share and how alike we are and what our fears are, what our desires are. <clears throat> we have this, this occasion, this offer, opportunity in this short uh, five days, really have full five days, which is not a lot of time, but I uh, um, uh, uh, com- um, compliment you and uh, uh, applaud your willingness to be here and uh, probably not quite sure or quite knowing what you're getting into with uh, a dying and death retreat and what to expect. and. Uh, Ajahn and Amarai are not right, no, don't know quite yet what to expect either. But uh, I think one thing that we do expect is, is good things, that when we come together like this with good intentions and to want to share and to learn, that it creates its own natural um, opening and, and rhythm as we were together. We don't know as we sit here that, well, maybe someone might die on this retreat. General was just telling me a little bit earlier that he had that happen when he was living in California. Somebody actually died on a retreat. And so that uncertainty is, is with us every moment. And there is a, a sense of, of urgency. One of the things that uh, Catherine, my wife, uh, said in her presentation over the Mindful Aging Weekend is that the, the and I like to say it in Thai, because when I I say it in Thai, not to you know to show you how eloquent my Thai is, but there's something about saying it in Thai that really gives it uh, meaning for me and how it and, and it sounds different in Thai, but then it just kind of really brings it home because that's where I really first heard so many of these teachings. So the the saying goes, "One nung luang bai luang bai rao tamalayu." So one nun luang bai luang bai rao tamalayu. So it literally translates as nights, days, and nights are swiftly passing. How well are we spending our time? How well am I spending my time? How well are you spending your time? So it can be we, you, me, I. And that the point that time is as we perceive it is marching on, is moving very swiftly. And so as each day passes, uh, we are another day closer to our final day for uh, our our, uh, existence in this uh, current life. But I think it's important to refine that even more, to think about, I think in in, in India and the yogic tradition, they count uh, life, life's longevity is measured in breaths so that each breath is one less. Now, whether that's true or not, it's true in that, well, I've been allotted so many breaths. So if we're stressed, if we're kind of a lot of hypertension, or we have a high 
kind of demanding job or livelihood or whatever, and we're always running. <laughs> Think how many breaths we're using up. So it behooves us. It is. It is. It is of of, of great uh, urgency to oh, slow down and breathe. Smell the roses. Take a breath and enjoy the breath because the breath coming in, one can't be certain if it's going to go out. And as the breath goes out, one can't be certain if it's going to come in again. And so at that level of, 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 uh, of awareness, which is, I'm not claiming to be there or to have that, but it's a wonderful reflection, because it b- brings it down to the immediacy of, uh, of how uh, fragile and delicate and precarious this life, this existence is. And so that not knowing of the day, but knowing there is that day or that moment. And uh, so I, I thought, well, when we're born, we're given a birth certificate. But I'd like to show, see a show of hands of how many people were given a death certificate. And nobody raises their hands. But we were given a death sentence. A death sentence in, the, in, in that because of birth, just like Ajahn was saying, that with that, why do I have to die? Well, I have to die because I was born. And, and so that, that, that is out there somewhere. I'm going to die someday. But our tendency, isn't it, is to put, put that out there someday. That someday is like, that's a long way out there. You know, that's like, yeah, someday, I agree, yeah, yeah. Well, I know I have to die someday. But in the meantime, you know, there's the kids and there's college and there's saving enough money. and there's So there, there's always a reason an excuse, if you will, to put that off. And so we're not saying, let's like, just throw our arms up and say, oh my God, I'm going to die, and then, you know, the sky is falling like the chicken little in the poem. And, uh, but that the, the more that I personally can make that a part of, of a certainty that I know that, that, it, that it's there, that we're having a certain preparation. So... So this is an opportunity, and, and we're going to be talking and encouraging, like, like we can, we, we'll talk about, like we're, we can prepare ourselves for that moment in certain ways, and we can kind of rehearse. We're hoping to have a few rehearsal exercises. We're not quite sure with that. We're not going to hang anybody in here or anything like that. But we're going to have, have you know, be offering reflections that actually allow you and I to, to come closer because the, the natural tendency is not to kind of draw close to that, is it? To like think, wow, yeah, this is going to be, you know, one of those. If there's one of those, like walking around, like Ajahn said, my God. You know, and it, it's, it's humorous. Ajahn Chah would say that with laughing. They come in, oh, there's skeletons in the, in the meditation hall. And they go running out. And so they don't realize they're kind of running out, but they're running with a skeleton. You know? <laughs> they run home with the skeleton. They go to bed with the skeleton. They get up with a skeleton, you know. They go to the toilet with a skeleton, and, and and they never see it. But they come into the sala, and there's an actual skeleton. Oh, there's a skeleton, and they go running off. And yeah, we're running around with it 24 hours a day. So these are wonderful reflections of, of for us, and to 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 look at and to contemplate. And so we want to the the encouragement is to is to draw closer or to to kind of become more intimate with that 
and knowing that we have that experience. And in that preparedness, if you will, that, that the, the fear that we have, and we can start to look at this, what our fears are, and our fears most likely aren't about like death per se. It's like, yeah, I, I know I'm going to die. But then the fears are more like, well, how am I going to die? And, and am I going to have pain? You know? Am I going to die alone? Or will I die some violent, horrible death? So the fears are about what we know. Some people say, well, I'm afraid of the unknown. Well, how can one be afraid of what you don't know? We're more afraid of the known. We're afraid of pain. We're afraid of being alone. Uh, we're afraid of being rejected. You know, at our deathbed, we, we, we haven't led a very good life. And so there's not even one person that wants to be near us. You know, I certainly fear that more than dying because we die alone anyway. It doesn't matter how many people surround us. We're alone. Just like we're born alone and we will die alone. But that we, we create conditions to draw closer to our human condition and therefore, I believe, to, to, to draw near to those that do care and, and that will support us and be there for us. This came up on the, uh, the Mindful Aging Weekend. So I want to be brief, and uh, I think what I'd like to, to kind of finish with, because I know people have traveled from distances, and, and no matter we're giving you a, an extra half hour in the morning, that it's not a lot getting up that, as early as we do here and making it out for, uh, for the, uh, the morning puja and meditation. But uh, a reflection that, that I discussed with Ajahn and that I think is, is quite, quite good and I, I want to encourage, first is the days and nights relentlessly passing. And how well am I spending the time? So that's a wonderful way to reflect. Just, and it's not to intimidate or to make, oh, I'm not practicing enough. You know, John and Joseph said, you know, I should sit more often, and I'm not sitting enough, and therefore I don't have a good practice. And no, it's about, well, what am I doing? It's, it's, it's an opportunity for me to say, okay, well, how am I spending my time? And we can spend our time in a lot of kind of fruitless and, and frivolous ways. And so how useful can we spend it and how are we spending it? The second is that as we bed down tonight and as we bed down every night and, and can take this up as a, as a practice for the remainder of your life that after you've done your uh, preparations for bed, cleaning your teeth, whatever it is, and then you'll actually lie down and to, to go to sleep. And of course we were told that the Buddha was uh, died uh, his final, the Parinibbana, his final passing and, and full enlightenment at his passing, he lied on his right side. Now, I'm a side sleeper, and I'm sure there's side sleepers and front sleepers, back sleepers, legs in the air sleepers, and all sorts of sleepers here in this room. But if you can lie down on one side or the other, kind of in a fairly comfortable, you can tuck your knees a little in that kind of side posture, I think most people are familiar with and uh, hopefully relatively comfortable. But if not, that's fine as well. But when you lie down, do your best to just to calm the body, calm the mind with the breath. So just allowing the breath to be gentle, to be flowing, to be natural, to be with the breath, and just allowing yourself to just kind of go to sleep. But with that, contemplate that this breath could well be your last breath. 
So bringing that up. So that should stimulate a lot. I was going to go to sleep, and now my, my last breath, oh God, I'm not going to go to sleep because I might not wake up. Oh, Joseph, I had a horrible night, you know, I was up all night. My last breath. I'm not going to go to sleep, and then I won't have my last breath, you know. No, you'll go to sleep, I'm pretty sure. Unless you've had a good, strong cup of coffee or something, or you're a, kind of a, a restless sleeper. But take that as a kind of just to, to incline towards that breath and then that final breath. And then when you wake up, or if you wake up, <laughs> do your best to get the first breath in the morning. Now it may be tomorrow night, I'm going to give the talk tomorrow night, the, the full talk we're sharing tonight, I'm going to give the full talk tomorrow night. So tomorrow night I might ask, oh my God, Joseph asked me to remember the first breath in the morning, the last breath in the night, and I said, I forgot all about it, I totally... And that's fine. You know, that's not, it's not like homework. I'm going to grade everybody tomorrow. But the sooner that you can catch the breath, and the sooner that you're going to be present, and then the sooner, oh, I have another day, or at least I have this next breath. So we're trying to make it, there's like an immediacy there. And so we're helping, especially in the context of the retreat, where we don't, there, there's not a lot of external extraction, eh, 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 distractions, are there? Here we're really we're here to support each other. We don't have to be anybody. You don't have to put on your best clothes and do makeup and don't care how your hair looks and all that. We're just here to be human beings together and and and, and share this experience. So that last breath, letting it be your last breath, contemplate that as best you can. And then first thing in the morning. So whether it's the alarm, you set an alarm, you hear the bell. And, and, and with the last breath, letting it go, but also kind of have your mind inclined. Well, if I do wake up, allow me to wake up as refreshed as possible and begin the day to have you know, a good day of retreat, listening to the reflections, being able to practice another day in my life and have an opportunity to learn, to grow, to deepen my, uh, my commitment to this practice, to the Buddha, to the Dhamma, to the Sangha. So I will leave you with that uh, this evening. Uh, thank you for attention. It's wonderful to have you all here, so many uh, devout people to come and, and be uh, sincerely interested to uh, learn and, and open in, uh, uh, from, from the two of us and from, from each other. Thank you.